I don't care if it's a week, two, four, six, seven, eight. Who do we appreciate? LeBron James. That's who y'all got to start, start appreciating. And you got to stop disrespecting this man. You got A.J. Brown, who's a legit number one. And you got Julio, who's a legit number one. One of them dudes got to get double teamed. Who going to get double teamed? And whoever gets double teamed, the other one gets the ball. I'm saying this with no pun intended, but full of pride. All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Prideful Takes Podcast. As always, it's your boy, Pride, and I got a special guest. I got that boy, Chris Pagano, bro. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good, man. I'm ready to get to it. Thank you for having me on. Of course, and I appreciate you being here, bro. We're going to start right in. We're going to get right into it. We got a very, very packed show, so let's try to rip through this as quick as possible. So first and foremost, Jason Kidd, obviously, he's, he's, he's the new coach for the Mavs. Now, here's the question that, frankly, a lot of people are starting to ask now, which is the question they should have asked. Says Jason Kidd is considered an all-time great point guard. Is there anything he can truly teach Luka Doncic and help unlock his potential? Because the Luka I see now, personally, I think this is the best Luka we're going to see. I don't think there's really much he can do to get better because the kid is already top five. You don't think he's top five. I don't want to talk to you. The kid is just already fantastic. He's always the best player on a playoff caliber team. So Chris, is there anything that Jason Kidd can legitimately teach Luca to help um help this team get over the playoff hump? I definitely think there's I think there's a decent amount of things that he can teach Luca. Like you said already, Luca is already a top 5 player in this league, but we got to keep in mind he's still 21 years old. So, at the end of the day, like he's not even technically in his prime yet. Some of the things I remember Mark Cuban saying and J.J. Barea when they were both on the J.J. Redick podcast, that after Luca's first season in the NBA, he spent his whole offseason basically on vacation, playing Fortnite, not really working out. He just took a bunch of time off because he's still a kid. So one of the things that Jason Kidd can really teach Luca is work ethic and how to work out in the offseason and just how to improve athletically, just get stronger and faster. And one of the biggest things I think Luca can learn from Jason Kidd is about being a better defender on the perimeter. And Luca's a big dude. So when those switches come, when they will in the pick and roll, it would be nice for him to be able to defend in the post. And if you remember, it was a decent amount of time ago, but Jason Kidd was a very good defender at the NBA level. And I think those are two things that I think will be vital to launching Luca right now he's top five in the league but if Jason Kidd can do to Luka Doncic like what he did for Giannis because let's don't forget now Jason Kidd was a big part in Giannis's development and when Jason Kidd left Milwaukee Giannis was not happy about it because he knew Jason Kidd had a lot to do with his success so if Jason Kidd can do to Luka Doncic what he did to Giannis I think top five player in the league will turn into top five player of all time. Well, honestly, I, I don't blame you for saying that. And that, that's something a lot of people kind of forget that without Jason Kidd, we're, this Giannis that we have presently would not exist. Like that's Jason true. Kidd had a big part to do. You said top five all time. This kid got that potential. Like this kid already as is, he already plays like a seasoned vet. And like you said, he's only 21. But, like, this kid has been playing professionally since 16. Now, obviously, the defensive side of the ball, Luka does need to work on that. 
and I'm not even going to really debate that at all. But in terms of the Mavs team, I think that's the only thing he really needs to work with Luka on in terms of his defense. And honestly, I don't think Luka is a bad defender. No. I just think he doesn't care to play defense. He's more of like a, I want to be, I want to have the ball in my hand. I want to, I want to do the highlight plays and that's it. And then if somebody else scores, it is what it is, but I'm going to try to score back. Yeah. That's well, kind he, of the, go ahead. Instinctively, he's a good defender. Like he's got good instincts yes. on defense, mm-hmm. but physically he's not as strong as he can be. He's not as quick as he can be. And that's what limits him on the defensive side of the ball. So that's what I meant with, Jason Kidd, when you look at Giannis transformed from his rookie season to his fourth and fifth season, this all the way to this, if Luka can get in a really good shape, he can be a well above average defender because he has those instincts. The game on both sides of the ball comes so naturally to him. Yep, 100%. He's got it all. But in terms of like having success for for this team, I think the only thing he's really got to do with Luka is have Luka – basically demand people be in certain places. And what I mean by that is, look, they have Chris Stapps Porzingis. And I, I, I'm i a fan of Chris Stapps. I like him. Only issue I have is I don't know whose idea this was. I don't know if he had the idea himself. I don't know if it was Luca's idea. I don't know if it was Rick Carlisle's idea, maybe Mark Cuban. I don't know whose idea it was to put this guy to be a shoot, a, 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 like a 3 and D type of dude is how they're trying to play him. They're trying to make him a seven-foot sharpshooter. I don't know whose idea that was, but that needs to change because I genuinely feel like a lot of the times when we see Luke, people usually say Luca flames out towards the end of games, and then they try to use that and say he's not clutch. The problem is when Luca's playing over 30 minutes a game and he's got the ball virtually the entire time in his hand and he's the one making all the plays, the guy's going to get tired. That's that's just that's just like a fact. Like it doesn't matter what team you look, when they have like a one-two punch, when the guy was tired, they went to the second guy and was like, okay, look, we're gonna leave Luca on the floor. Luca, go in the corner, you're gonna chill out, take like four or five plays. Kind of like what LeBron and Kyrie did in Cleveland. When LeBron had the ball and he needed a break, yo, Bron, go corner, Kyrie, do your thing. And what they need to do is kind of have Luca be that guy where he tells them where to go because I don't really see that in Luca. I see him like, like you said, he relies on instinct, and that's 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 a that's great. But there's times where you can't be instinctive, and you kind of gotta put your foot down and say, "Yo, Chris, that stop, stop complaining. Get your big butt in the paint, put your back to the basket, and you'll get the ball." Like, like I need to see Luca do that because I listen, and I know he's got that in him. You're not a dude who tears your own jersey and starts screaming on the bench if you ain't got that dog in you like that. So oh, there's I no know, question about that. Exactly. So I know he can't go up to these guys and tell them what to do. Not especially him being the best player on that team. And especially with the respect he's starting to get. Well, well not really starting to get. More like the respect he's had ever since his rookie year. It's like the only thing, obviously, defensively. But if we're going to talk offensively, Jason Kidd's going to have to sit him down and say, yo, look, you're, you're, you're a point guard. There's times where the point guard, and it doesn't matter what point guard it is, you can go through history. It could have been a, an average point guard. We've seen J.J. Barrett yell at dude. Mario Chalmers has yelled at D-Wade at, from time to time. He got chewed out afterwards, but he yelled at him. When you have a good or a great guard, 
Chris Paul has yelled at guys. Isaiah Thomas, Rajon Rondo, Mike Conley, you name them, a lot of the point guards who, who basically put their names out there and was looked at it as a very valuable piece, at one point or another looked at a guy and said, bro, what are you doing? Like, this is what you should be doing. And again, Luca's not dumb, you know? Like, he's got a very high IQ. The guy knows what he's doing. So I think Jason Kidd is going to have to I think Jason Kidd is going to have to give him the the authority and the confidence to instill in him. Because remember, Rick Carlisle is not a guy that he likes to be, like, talked around. You know what I mean? Like, everything has to go through him. Remember what happened with Rondo. Like, when Rondo showed up there, he was trying to change plays. Rick Carlisle was like, okay, what are you doing? You know? So, like, maybe that environment has something to do with it, Chris. But in terms of offense, the only thing Jason Kidd should be doing with Luka is just empowering him and making sure that on the court, he's telling guys where to go and to make sure they actually execute it. I think Jason Kidd, well, at the end of the day, I think Luka kind of already had that. I don't, I think Luka has just enough confidence that he could, that he needs to be able to be one of the best players in the NBA, which he already is. So one of the best players of all time. I mean, he has that confidence. He has really all the – he has everything it takes to be one of those players. And I agree with you. I think Jason Kidd can help with um, giving Luca the sense of how it is to lead a team and, like, a way to get players that play around him to buy in, not only to Jason Kidd's system but to Luca's system, how Luca plays, how he operates – and how he wants the team to move. So when you're talking about Kristaps, I honestly liked how in some ways he was kind of like a 3 and D guy. Because when you have a guy like Kristaps, who's that big, you have him play on the wing. What I didn't like is they played him at the four, or if they had him at the five, they have Dwight Powell in. That can't be happening. Dwight Powell, he shouldn't even be in the starting lineup, in my opinion. He shouldn't be. And not because I don't think Dwight Powell is good. I think Dwight Powell is a very decent center in the league. It's just there's no reason for Kristaps Porzingis to be playing the four or to be sharing the court with someone who can't shoot. Because when you have a guy who's 7'3 and can shoot, the point of that is to open up your offense. You want everyone – so if everyone on the court, if you have Luka – Tim Hardaway, Jalen Brunson, um, uh, Finney Smith, and Kristaps Porzingis on the court. Finney Smith isn't a great shooter, but he can shoot. Right. With the exception of him, everyone else is a shooter. You put everyone else out on the perimeter. You have Kristaps hanging at the top of the key for a possible pick and roll or dish down to the paint or come out for a three. No matter what, it keeps your offense open. So I like what they were doing with Kristaps. The problem with Kristaps is he's not efficient, consistent. And if you're not a, and you're not consistent, you can't be a viable number two option. I think the Mavericks this isn't on topic necessarily, but I think Mavericks put up tremendously in not being more aggressive in getting a number two or a number three star. I like that they brought back Hardaway Jr. He's a yes. very vital piece of that team. I like that they went out and got Reggie Bullock because he's another very solid three and D player. But Reggie Bullock is not going to move you up in the playoff bracket. Reggie Bullock is not going to get past the L.A. Clippers. It's it's just not going to happen. He doesn't have it in him. No disrespect to Reggie Bullock. He's a great role player. But he's not going to move that needle. I think the Mavericks need to get down. I, I think Mark Cuban needs to 
a phone. He needs to start making some calls, and they need to try and bring in another star player, someone who is defensive-minded as well because of Luka's limitations. And Mm -hmm. where I think Jason Kidd can come in, like I've said, the biggest thing for Luka is work ethic in the summer and the offseason and trying to just keep getting better and stronger and quicker. And I think that's going to help a lot. Okay, well, let me. I want to play this game with you because it it is a little off topic, but let me play this game with you. So, you said you basically want Mark Cuban to pick up the phone and go get a star, right? Absolutely. Who do you think he should get? Because remember, Mm. it can't be a guy like a Damian Lillard, or it can't be even a guy like a Jalen Brown because the guy you you need to get needs to fit the the third man role. Because I'm not go ahead. Jalen Brown would fit that perfectly, but the problem is, I if I'm going to answer that question, I need to th- think of something that's realistic. Because Jalen Brown, like ideally, even though I'm a Celtics fan, I know Jalen Brown would fit perfectly in Dallas because he can take some playmaking away from uh, from Luka Doncic. He can shoot and he can defend. He can do everything. Having a guy like that next to Jalen next to Luka Doncic would be amazing. But the problem is, is Boston wouldn't. There's nothing that Dallas has that Boston wants besides Luka. So there's no way the trade like that would happen. Well, this is where I'll give you a little pushback. If Dallas wants to kind of, I don't want to say blow it up, but if they want to give up on Chris Stapps, they'll probably, they could send Chris, because I'm a Celtics fan, right? I love Jalen Brown. I really do. If we could trade him to get a big man, on for which is something, frankly, we have desperately needed for like what four or five years now. I mean, that's the only. I'm just saying. I'm playing devil's advocate. Obviously, if I was a GM, I'm not trading Jalen Brown, but I'm just playing devil's advocate. If we want to make that trade, do you think it would be kind of logical to do a Jalen Brown for a Chris Stapps with some picks or a Chris Stapps with? Uh, uh, Reggie or, you know, you know what I mean? Like, would that be logical? The only, no, well, no, because I think Jalen Brown is a cornerstone player. If the Celtics weren't willing to give up Jalen Brown in a James Harden deal, they're not going to be willing to do it to get Chris Stops some picks and another role player. So there's, there's just no chance of that happening. I don't see Jalen Brown getting ever getting traded from Boston unless he wants to be traded. That's the only way that Jalen Brown would get traded from the Celtics. Um, if the deal, the only way I think the Mavericks, aside from Jalen Brown, let's put that to rest. If the only way I see the Mavericks getting, um, a solidified number two star is by trading Chris That's the, that's the only piece that a lot of teams are willing to take a flyer on a team. Like no one's going to want. If someone's giving up, let's say the Blazers are giving up C.J. McCollum. Let's say the Blazers blow it up like people think that they will. Mm -hmm. C.J. McCollum, although I don't think he's a great fit, just theoretically. Right. The only way that the Blazers would want to do that deal, they wouldn't want to get a guy like Jalen Brunson and Tim Hardaway in a a dual package for C.J. McCollum with picks. They wouldn't really want that because there's nothing that they can build upon for the future with. You're tearing it apart. You want draft picks and young assets. Kristaps has been in the league for a while, but he's still a young asset. He's still under – he's just starting his prime age-wise. Right. Although with his injuries, 
he might not ever reach that. I think he will. I think he's still going to be fine. But he's but it's the, still a conversation you don't know because of the injuries. It's, it's at least a conversation. Absolutely. And also, too, a guy who I think would fit well in Dallas, Bradley Beal. There is a way to get that deal done around Kristaps because of the fact that Bradley Beal hasn't signed that max extension yet. And that is true. So that does give us more room. If Bradley Beal was really knowing that he was staying in Washington, he would have locked up that super max by now. Oh, 100%. Yeah, so, I, yep, 100%. So if you're asking me a player that they should go after, if he is available – I say it's Bradley Beal because he's a guy who could actually be available so it's realistic. They could make a package for him, although they would have to dump a lot of draft assets. But I don't think that would matter because you'd be you'd be combining Bradley Beal and Luka Doncic. Which is kind that of is a, that's a hell of a tandem right there. Yeah, I'm 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 a play I'm a player, I'm a hop on you. There is one guy that I think they should go for. Now the name I'm gonna say is gonna sound stupid, but just take this take this ride with me. All right, just take this ride with me. Ben Simmons. The reason I'm gonna say Ben Simmons is because you have a defensive guy that can help with with the whole you know like Luca's defensive inefficiencies. You have a guy you can run a pick and roll with, and then when Luca wants to take a break, you have someone who can play me. Granted, you are gonna lose some shooting, which is you know. I'm not going to deny that at all. But if you're going to get rid of Chris Stapps, you might as well see, okay, if we're going to get rid of Chris Stapps and we're going to get another player, yeah, we're going to lose a shooting. But defensively, we're getting a better player. In terms of playmaking, we're going to get a better player. I mean, rebounding, you can get that to Chris Stapps. But Ben Simmons isn't a bad isn't a bad rebound. No, I'd honestly give it to Ben Simmons because Chris Stapps last season averaged, what, seven rebounds a game? And I just think the reason is because they always kept him at the three-point line. I feel like if they moved him in, he could have been in. But, yeah. you know, I feel like that one is like a toss-up. You can go either or. And, you know, again, I, I feel like it'll be a decent fit because then Luca can obviously do his thing, get turned. But then if you need to run a set or a set play, you can just kind of give the ball to Ben Simmons and let Luca kind of relax in a little bit. So that way, you know, I mean, again, it could be a stretch. But if you're going to get rid of Chris Stapps, Try to get, you know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't be bad to get to get some of that size back and get a playmaker in the process. Okay, so I hear where you're coming from. The only, there's a couple issues with this. And I do hear you. I do hear you. I have thought about it. First things first, there's no way in hell Philly would take Kristaps Porzingis to play next to Joel Embiid. I disagree. If that. Remember, this is the same organization who got Nerlens Noel. Who got um Jamil Okafor, and they had um. That's different. Um, no, That's no, no, no. And they wanted to keep all three. They wanted to keep all three. So they if you can have a one-two tandem, I think they'll rock with it. They said they wanted to keep all three because at the end of the day, when you're in a dumpster fire like the Sixers were back then, you take best player available regardless of position when you're in the draft. Okay, good point. That's what you do. And then there's a reason why Nerlens Noel didn't stay in Philly too long. I mean, the reason for Jalil Oak for not staying in Philly is because he was trashed and he got in a fight, and yeah. that looked funny too. He did not know how to fight. But <laughs> the only, the only, you got to also think this is the same team that signed Al Horford two off seasons ago, but then right. traded him because it was a terrible fit because it clogs up their front court. There's no, 
Which is it, true, but Chris Stapps is a better shooter than Al Horford. He is a better shooter than Al Horford, but he's also less mobile and can't guard fours and threes nearly as well as Al Horford can. But again, yeah, but if you think about it, if you're giving up Ben Simmons in terms of defense, you're not getting a Ben Simmons defensive player in return. Like, no, you're not. You're not. You know? But at the end of the day, you're still trying. The reason Ben Simmons hasn't been traded yet is because they still want to be contending for a championship. And a front court with Joel Embiid and Kristaps Porzingis is not getting you to a championship. It's it's not even going to get you a top four seed in the playoffs. I disagree. I disagree. I I, th- I, I, I think it'll wholeheartedly think it won't be one. I, I tell you this, it won't be the one seed. I won't disagree with you here. It's not going to be the one seed. It's not going to be the two. Four? It's not going to be three, and it's not going to be the four. Who's going to be the fourth then? Boston, Miami, Milwaukee. So, okay, well, okay, you said Miami. All right, let's throw that one out the window because no, no, with, 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 with Chris Steps and Joel Embiid, with Chris Steps and Joel Embiid, they're a top four seed. No, yes, they are. I got because it'll be the Nets, they and might have, have, just because of continuity. You could put the Bucks there, then might. it'll be Boston, and then it'll be Philly. Ain't no way you're gonna look me in my so so after, after so let me guess, let me guess. So, biologic, then what is Chicago all of a sudden the top three in the east? No, oh. That's not that's not that's not debate on my logic though. Miami Miami went made it to the championship a year ago without Kyle Lowry and without PJ Tucker. And Kyle Lowry is so hold on, whoa, 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 whoa. So all of a sudden, PJ Tucker is that much of an impact player? PJ Tucker is a huge impact player. Oh my god. He was so much of an impact player that he still couldn't help Houston get to the finals. He did, bro. He helped. Are you kidding me? He was one of the biggest parts of that Houston team. He and didn't even get to the final. Wait, come on. First of all, couldn't even get to the final. You know There's the same guy going one. You know why they didn't get to the finals? Let me they hear. Did not get, they did not get to the finals because of the Golden State Warriors. Negative. Negative. They did not get to the finals because J- they weren't good enough. They just weren't good enough. Exactly, and that's not on PJ Tucker. That's not on PJ no, Tucker. If PJ Tucker was that much of an impact player, he could have pushed them over the hump. If you take if you take PJ if you take PJ Tucker away from the Bucks last year, they're losing to the Nets in five or six. Smoking. No. Because they're the same no. PJ. Listen, hold on, talk about, talk about, talk about, talk about, Because I I know where you're gonna go with this. Because people K- say that KD would have averaged fifty a game. KD would have averaged forty-five or fifty a game during that series. Look, nobody else is checking him. And PJ Tucker was doing so great of a, of a, of a job checking him that bro. That he could he, listen. There was two games KD had off. After that, KD was cooking him. There was two games where he was off, and honestly, that was not because of PJ Tucker. That was not because of PJ. Had to do with One PJ game, Tucker. it was because he was trying to do way too much for God knows why. Maybe because he, he felt he didn't want to rely on James because he, he wasn't in. There was one game like that. If you want to say one out of out of the seven games, he held him. Okay, fine, whatever. I'll give you that. PJ Tucker's not a needle mover like that. We need to stop that myth right now. He's not a needle mover like that. He's not he because the same dude who goes over three and he all of a sudden he's that much of an impact player. So is Patrick Beverly an impact player too? Patrick Beverly is not nearly as good of a defender as PJ Tucker at all. Where did all this hype? Patrick, Patrick, PJ Tucker comes Russell, from? Russell Westbrook said it best. Pat Beverly is confusing so many people. No, hold on, whoa, 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 whoa. Patrick Beverly is not that I'm not saying Patrick Beverly is the best guard. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that at all. 
I'm not gonna. I'm not making that distinction. I'm not saying, and I'm also not saying PJ Tucker is a top five, top ten defender in the but, league. But you but can't he, say he's that impactful when he does the same stuff Patrick Beverly does. He, no, he if you say Patrick Beverly got you fooled, Paul PJ Tucker got dudes tripping right now. He's not that great. He does all this rah rah stuff and he wears nice shoes, but the, that doesn't make him a great defender. No, he's a solid one. All right, P.J. Tucker is a better defender by, than Patrick Beverly easily, and I'm going to tell you why. The reason for it is because P.J. Tucker can easily guard one through four, and he can still guard fives. You saw him do it when he was in Houston when we when they went with the small ball lineup. I'm, the small ball lineup was not successful, but it's not because P.J. Tucker wasn't able to do his job. Yes, it was. Look, if you want to say one through four, I'll give you that. He can't guard fives. He can't he guard fives. Mark, Mark can even guard some fives. That's different. No, 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 he can't. No, well, hold on, time out. Has given Are you talking about legit, hold on, hold on, hold on. Are you talking about legit fives or small ball fives? Because there's a difference. Because because I'm not saying I'm not saying stop them. I'm not saying hold them to under their averages or anything like that. I'm saying he can pass as a defender on a five. We're going we're gonna agree to disagree because I never switch being able to switch like that is huge. So PJ can only guard one and twos. He can guard threes. Kind of. Yeah, he can kind of guard threes. Look, I'm not saying that that um that Patrick Beverly is better. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is PJ Tucker does a lot of the same. Like when 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 this when 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 Patrick Beverly just does all this rah-rah stuff, people hype him up for that. Or people say, Oh, he's tricking you. PJ Tucker does the same thing. He does the same thing. He's not this. He's not this phenomenal defender that everyone wants to be. He is a taller version of Patrick Beverly. He does the same thing. And a better he chats and wrangles rah rah, and then occasionally he pulls out some nice shoes. He's occasionally all right. He comes out with nice shoes every time. Let's be honest. But yeah, but 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 he'll like. Nah, I'm, I'm, what I mean by that is he'll come out, out and he'll take them off on the court and bring put them out. on front of the screen and I'm be not, like, "Yo, look at these." I'm not gonna take this Pat Bever- this uh, PJ Tucker hatred right now. It's not hatred. Look, he's a no, solid no, no, no. player. Just, he's not a pack. You just cap. You just cap. Vicious. How? You're saying PJ Tucker doesn't come out with nice shoes every game? No, 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 no. no. I, I, I misspoke. I'm what I Thank meant was he always. Thank but there's a once a once in a while he'll take them off and he'll go to the camera and show them. That's okay. what I meant. That's what I meant. He'll sometimes take like them off. That. I misspoke. But all I'm saying, if you want to say PJ Tucker's a good defensive player, I'll let it slide. I don't mind. In he's a above average defensive player. If you want to say well above average, I'll agree with that. I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, without him, they're not beating the Nets. No, without him, they were going to because the Nets were injured. Because a healthy Nets team. Seven overtime. And, and okay, they went to game Did seven PJ overtime Tucker because they injured him. Huh? Did PJ Tucker not make them a better team? I wouldn't go, not really. Bugging. He, he helped defensively, I'll say that, but and to he, be like, they're. Um, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. With that same PJ Tucker, if either Kyrie or James, just one of them, is healthy, is this Bucks team beating the Nets? Maybe. Maybe. Stephon Gilmore got traded um, after rumors of him being released. You really just like blew my mind there, because like, yeah, that's I've never I've never seen so much PJ Tucker love. But Stephon Gilmore got traded after rumors of him supposedly being released. They didn't know, you know, turns out it was just we don't release them to try to stoke up some trade rumors. And it worked. They ended up sending the four-time pro bowler 
to the Carolina Panthers, which definitely surprised me. In return, they got a 2023 sixth-round pick. So, Chris, for both teams involved, for the Patriots and the Panthers, is this a good or a bad move? For the Panthers, it is a fantastic move. And let me tell you why. First off, Stephon Gilmore is from Carolina. So he's going back home where he's comfortable, where he's grown up. He's happy to be there. Them pulling this move almost guarantees them that they're going to be able to bring him back after this if the money works out. But they have a lot of money, so it can work out. For the Patriots, this is terrible. This is absolutely terrible. If this was their plan all along to trade Stephon Gilmore and not re-sign him, why didn't you trade him a year ago when his value was high? If they traded him a year ago when his value was high, when all these rumors started, they would have been able to get a first-round pick. For a former defensive player of the year, they got a sixth-round pick in not this next year's draft, the draft after that. Unless that draft pick turns into a well-above-average starter player, the Patriots lost this trade tremendously. This trade, it just doesn't make any sense. I don't understand why no one was able to, why no one was willing to give over a sixth-round pick for Stephon Gilmore. I don't understand why the Patriots weren't willing to trade him sooner if this was the plan all along. And it pisses me off, too, because I'm a Falcons fan. I don't want Stephon Gilmore in my division. But the Panthers, let me tell you, They are looking scarier by the second. Sam Darnold, who I have been a fan of ever since he got drafted, ever since he got drafted, Sam Darnold has the potential to be a top 10 quarterback in this league for a decade. This man has the talent. He's a very, very talented player. He can run. As you see, he was leading the league in rushing touchdowns. He can run. He can throw the deep ball. He he, He can do a lot of things right. Can he try and force the ball a little bit too much? Yes. But with Matt Rule and Joe Brady as his coaches, that's getting fixed out. That's getting fixed. Every single week he's getting better. This team is amazing. And that Panthers secondary looks crazy. When you have Jeremy Chin, when you have Stephon Gilmore, when you have J.C. Horn, they look good. They look very good. forgot I was muted. But I just think it's funny. Every single time that Lamar Jackson runs the ball, all of a sudden, oh, my God, he's a top five running back. But then when Sam Donald does it, it doesn't matter. I've always never understood the disrespect Sam Donald always gotten. I think it was because since he got drafted to the Jets, it was a horrible situation. He couldn't make it work. But then again, unle- like who's, who could really make that Jets situation work? He was on the Jets, and Adam Gase was his head coach. You can't do anything about yeah, that. Like you're at this point, you're dead before you get your first breath. You know Jets. what I mean? On another note, Jets never should have traded Sam Darnold. But keep going. No, I I hundred percent agree with you. I I didn't at at any point. I'm i like like you. I've been a Sam Darnold fan. I enjoy him. I always say he could be a top ten because he makes throws. If you can make throws that only Patrick Mahomes can make. You're in a special category because there are times where he can make those throws. But then, like you said, he forces things. So the next throw is like, uh huh. Yeah. Him in Carolina, he's starting to fall back on that. He's not, he's not forcing it as much, which I like. Uh, not for the not for the trade. 
And obviously for Carolina, this is a dub. Because it, like that, if, if, even if they resign him as well, if they end up getting him for like three more years after this, there's no player in the 2023 draft with that pick that's going to be better than Stephon Gilmore. Unless there's, a miracle happens. I mean, it's it's crazy. Yeah, so like they won. They're beefing up. The, now they got a legit number one to, like you said, their defense, you already went on. Their defense is legit. Ain't no poo-pooing, especially their passing, right? Like they still, they still have some. I will say they still have some holes in the trenches on both sides of the ball on their offensive and defensive line. But I mean, they have some foundational pieces. You got Jeremy Chin, J.C. Horn, Derek Brown. Those mm-hmm. are three defensive players on Carolina, all under twenty-four, who can definitely be all-pro players. Yep, and like. Like, like, you know, like Greg said, they're running, like you said, they're running like the trenches. That's going to be an issue. But in terms of the passing, they'll be good. And on top of that, learning from Stephon Gilmore, that's a great – now for the Patriots. I am a Patriots fan. This move confused me. Now, I'm going to give – I'm not going to say that we completely lost. Oh. But it's a head-scratching move because – okay, if we cut him, we would have gotten nothing. At least we got – something but at the same time it's confusing because was this the goal all along like were we never gonna bring him back like it's almost like like, it's almost as if bill belichick went into this tampa bay game and was like if we get blown out we're bringing him here if we can survive without him he could take a hike that's the vibe i'm getting from this because like all through training, mind you, I've been I've been listening to this for a while, and through training camp, both sides were like, "Yeah, we want to make it work. We want to make it work." And my thing was, I have no issues with it. You know, a guy's gonna want more money. They're coming to an organization who, especially with Bill Belichick, more times than not, tend to be a little stingy with money. But then I also get Stephon Gilmore's side because the free agent that just passed. Bill Belichick stole everyone's stimmy and went bonkers for no reason whatsoever. So it's like I understood both sides. I thought eventually it was going to get hashed out. But then they were like, oh, yeah, you know, we're on the horn and we're trying to trade him. I was like, why weren't you guys trying to trade him before? I mean, if this really was the goal, because now there was rumors, oh, yeah, we're going to release them. So it's like, why am I going to okay, why trade? Why am I going to trade you for something now when in two days you're going to let him go? And I have a better chance of signing him as a free agent than I do trading for him. Yeah, And it, like I said, I, we got something. But at the same time, the move in and of itself is just bizarrely confusing, because like you said, if this was always the end goal, why didn't you trade him last year? Matter of fact, forget that. If that if this was the end goal, why didn't you just trade him in the offseason? Why like, why wait till now to be like, okay, yeah, you know, you can let you go now? Because it's like you could have gotten more back then, but at the same time, it's almost as if they were like, okay, let's see how we how the week plays out. Their defense has been like solid, but this is a great day for JC Jackson because come offseason, he's gonna get paid. Because now he's their number one. He's going to get paid. Because ain't no way you're going to let Stephon Gilmore go if you don't have that much – if you don't have confidence at all in J.C. Jackson, Chris. Well, I don't – I'll put it to you like this, a couple things. And they kind of tie in together. 
I think you are a hundred percent wrong in the fact that you think the Patriots didn't completely lose this trade. The reason for that being is that the signs were there. I mean, there were rumors that he put his house up on the market in June or July. Mm-hmm. But when that happens, you know a player's on the move. Well, no, 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 no. Because Tom did that like four times. Tom has done that like four or five times. LeBron did that when he came back. When he went to Cleveland, when they came back three one, he did that. So, and then, well, LeBron also, but LeBron also bought a property in LA when he left. Cleveland to go to LA. Right. But what I'm saying, just if a player sells his house where he lives, that doesn't in and of itself mean the trade. Because even though that was happening, the following thing he wanted to stay. But it's definitely a sign. If Stefan Gilmore wanted to stay, Mm -hmm. I I disagree. I think selling your home is more of a sign than you think. Some players do it. When they're not not saying that they're going to leave or anything like that, sometimes some players just do it. But Stefan Gilmore, it looks like this was the case. And if the Patriots were so reluctant to release him or trade him for a sixth round pick, that means Stefan Gilmore wanted out, and there was no chance of him wanting to resign with the team. So I think I didn't want to. So because of that, they didn't want to pay the rest of his year's salary, so they were just going to release him. But then they found out they wanted the Panthers wanted him, so they got a sixth round pick for him. The Patriots completely lost this trade because they were refusing to acknowledge the obvious. Stefan Gilmore, for over a year now, has been asking for a raise on his current salary when he saw Jalen Ramsey got the extension he got. Mm-hmm. He saw even Shaquille Griffin, the contract he got. I mean, they're getting paid almost the same amount of money, and Shaquille Griffin is an average cornerback in this league. Right, right. Of course, of course. No, I, I understand. The, Go the, signs, the signs were there. Stefan Gilmore wanted out. Honestly, I don't even know if Stefan Gilmore is that hurt right now. Well, I, think, well, I, there was a lot, there's been a lot of rumors that Stefan Gilmore has been holding out and they've been keeping it quiet. I mean, that's a possibility. That's and a possibility. If all, if all the signs point to what I look at as the obvious in that Stefan Gilmore didn't want to be in New England anymore because they couldn't amend the situation, I think the reason New England kept on to him was because they were stubborn and they thought, no, there's definitely a way we can fix this situation. They waited way too long into up until the point where they couldn't get any value for him, so they had to settle with a sixth-round pick. The reason they completely lost this is because when these signs were first being indicated, they could have traded him for a first-round pick, maybe even more. Yes, but at the same time, like you come through before the first week of the NFL regular season, up until that point, Stephon Gilmore was saying, I want to stay. He at no point ever said, oh, I want out of here. I don't I don't want to be here anymore. He at no point did he ever say any of that. He was always willing to negotiate. The only thing he wanted, he was like, look, you guys don't have to pay me Jalen Ramsey money. You guys don't got you got don't don't you don't got to do that. Just give me a pay bump. If you give me a pay bump, I'll be fine. Well, he, he wanted, made, he wanted a pay bump and a contract extension. Yes, wanted, yeah, yeah, and, and that contract extension. Yes, but what I he wanted, I think he deserved. But yeah. the Patriots knew they weren't going to do it because if they did think they were going to do it, what changed from then to now for them to not want to do it anymore? I mean, maybe, but this is where I'm going. It's perhaps maybe he just stopped talking to them because here's the thing. 
after week after the first week of the regular season, I have not heard a peep about this situation. Everyone has been quiet about it. So that leads me to believe where the probably Stefan Gilmore was like, look, if I don't get a deal by the first week of the NFL regular season, I'm done. Maybe that's what was happening. It got there, and he was like, okay, I'm done. My thing is, look, the reason I'm not saying they full-blown lost, they got something. They got something, especially when they were on the doorstep of releasing him. Again, a a Pro Bowl caliber cornerback who can be the number one corner on, like, what? You want to say, what, 25, 28 teams at least? He's a top-five corner hands down. So it's like they got something. Again, it's not a lot. And, again, I'm not going to call it a win. But I'm not calling it a win either. I'm not calling it a win. It's it's just confusing. It's a complete loss. I don't – Complete loss. A complete loss would have been releasing him and getting nothing. But all the Patriots were able to succeed in doing this Mm -hmm. is they get a sixth-round pick, which has very little value. I mean, Christ – the Jets gave up a sixth-round pick to get Shaq Lawson. Well, hold on, hold on. But for New England, that sixth-round pick could potentially be something. This is a team I, that I, I'm I'm a huge Bill Belichick fan, and I can say Bill Belichick has not done well in the draft in the past three years. I, I agree with that. I, I agree with that. The past three three years have been. Yeah, no Belichick worthy. They've been they've been tough, but they haven't been great. So all the all the Patriots succeed in doing is getting a sixth round pick and freeing up money that would have that would have been off the books at the end of the season for Stephon Gilmore, who was a defensive player of the year, what three years ago? Yes, I want to say yes. I want to say it was three years ago. Which again, that's terrible. There's, I'm not disagreeing with you. Look, look, there's look, look, look. no, there's no happiness. There's no, oh my God, we did. There's no, there's not nothing me. good. There's nothing good about this situation for the Patriots. It is a complete loss. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Me ask you a question. What's worse, getting getting twenty dollars or getting no dollars? What's worse? You know the answer to that question, but it doesn't matter because it does because you can't like, call it a complete loss if we got something. Look again, let me reiterate this. In no way, shape, or form am I saying this is a win. I am not making that 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 at all. Let me just I just need to reiterate that. This is not a win in terms of the trade. This is not a win at all. Because frankly, if it was up to me, we would have kept Stefan. Because you're gonna make an argument. Well, not really the argument. It was but, the fact he was our best player. But Stefan didn't want to be there. And like you said before, you said something about a doorstep and the Patriots were at, at the door and they had to get something. They shouldn't have been at that fucking doorstep. Which I, I agree. They, they should have had to deal for him. That doorstep. They yeah, should have him earlier. And I'm at the end you. of the day, too, the Patriots, they've been in a position, they're like the Spurs. They've been in a position where they've been in Super Bowl contention for two decades. you got to know when it's time to tear it down. And you don't need to completely tear things down. But, like, in the same way that the Spurs should probably get rid of either Derek White or DeJounte Murray to make a trade, or the same way they should have traded DeMar DeRozan before the offseason, 
the Patriots should have traded Stefan Gilmore at the height of his value because he does not fit in with long-term plans. The, the Patriots, I think the Patriots are probably the best one in three team in football, which doesn't say much, but I think the Patriots can still get a wild card spot. I think they are a playoff worthy football team. Do I think they will be contending for a Super Bowl within the next three, four years? Oh. No, I do not think they will be because I think the soonest we can contend, and this is just assuming everything goes perfectly, all the stars align, I think five years. And like I said, that's if all the planets align and everything goes out, Matt Jones all of a sudden looks like a top five guy. That's really the only way I can see it. But other than that, there's a long-term rebuild. And regardless of Stephon Gilmore wanting an extension or the Patriots being able to extend him regardless, would you extend Stephon Gilmore knowing that he's 31 years old and you won't be competing for a Super Bowl for another four years? No. You're going to trade him. You're going to get as many assets as you can. You're going to turn that first-round pick who will be entering in his prime by the time you guys get to that that time. Yeah, which, again, again, do I I don't think this is the uh, the, the that, best deal in the world. I'm not disagreeing with that. My thing is, we got something. We got something. If you're happy with that, you're happy with that. But, but, but what choice do I have? What choice do I Because, again, look, based on where we are right now, we would have released them and got nothing. So uh, look, uh, uh, beggars can't be choosers, right? Like we we basically was like, it, he went zero dark thirty. He was like, y'all don't want to give me a deal. It is what it is. I'm a rehab and I'm gonna do my thing. After that, you know, get rid of me. It is what it is. All I'm saying, we got something. I'm not calling it a win. Like I said, I'm calling this a confusing deal at best. Like this is very perplexing on why they waited this long. But I can't call it a total loss because we got something. I agree you got something, but at the end of the day, beggars can't be choosers, but you guys shouldn't have had to be beggars. And that's well, and I, at that. I agree with you there. We shouldn't have if we if we if we knew we weren't gonna sign him, we should have traded him before. We should have traded him before week one. I agree with you there. Why they didn't will trade him, I don't know, but that's a conversation for a whole nother day. Bottom line. Speaking of someone who needed a long conversation, that boy Urban Meyer. It's <laughs> kind of funny. He came in the league, and so did Trevor Lawrence, right? Trevor Lawrence is this young kid. He's so young, you know. No one is going to know how he's going to handle things. He's acting the way Urban Meyer should be acting, and Urban Meyer is acting the way that Trevor Lawrence should be acting. It's funny. My guy, Urban Meyer, he was living his best life. Now everyone in that organization seems to turn their back on him. Is it possible that Urban Meyer will not finish this year with Jacksonville, Chris? In my eyes, I think there's no chance in hell that they fire Urban Meyer during this season. I I think there's absolutely no way. I think I think they believed in him so much that they gave him a very large contract for a first-time NFL coach, which is fact. A long contract, five years for a first-time NFL coach, regardless of college success, because everyone knows being as a player or a coach or anything, college is always translate to the NFL. It's it's most true in football than it is in almost any other sport. And they believed in him enough to give him that contract for five years for however much money it was. I know it was a lot. I don't think there's a – because 
it almost never happens that you get a first year head coach that gets fired in his first year. That just doesn't happen. And I do think this is a dumpster fire. I don't think Urban Meyer is going to be there for his whole contract, but I don't see him getting fired during the season. It just, it just wouldn't make sense. You'd be having your number one draft pick, Trevor Lawrence, having a complete off season and building a relationship with a head coach that it seemed that he was happy to be with. And then just getting rid of him after an 0 and 4 start, or let's say they do it mid season or even 12 weeks in, it just wouldn't make sense. You got to let them at least give them somewhat of a chance to make things better. Do I think it will get that much better? No, but do I think they're going to fire him? I don't think they will fire Urban Meyer until after his second season. And that's if it's going as bad as it is right now. Um, I genuinely don't know what they're going to do with this team. And it's weird because have you, have you seen the video of him getting turned in, 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 that, in that bar with, the, with that girl, Chris? Urban Meyer? Yes. No. <laughs> okay. I, that. I it's it's a little it's I I I'm not playing it. I don't have it. I made sure because it will get us canceled. Is it creepy? I'm gonna put it to you this way. This might be a little excessive. My guy, dare I say, was close fucking this girl. Oof. Yeah. That like this dude was getting action, bro. He's getting more action than me, my guy. This dude is like 50, over 55 years old with a whole family. He's getting action like that, right? It's to the point now, Chris, they did, they're having meetings behind his back. Let me ask you this question. When is the last time we've seen any organization, regardless of the sport, have meetings, of, like, like meetings, Without the head coach present. Players meetings, that's about it. Right? Like, that's really it. Like, when a player, when they go like that, and it's usually the leader goes up to the coach, and he goes, look, for instance, um, a couple years back when, uh, when Ty Lu, he was the coach for Cleveland, LeBron was like, yo, we're having a team meeting. Go do something. And then they had the team meeting, but the coach knew. They're having these things with – they're having meetings without him. I want to play you a clip from the apology because they pressed him after the game against the Bengals. They pressed him. So I'm, I'm going to give you a quick uh, snip, snippet of the, the apology he gave out. I just apologize to the team and staff and uh, for being a distraction. It's stupid. Uh, and so I explained everything that happened and owned it. And, you know, just stupid. Uh, should not have myself in that kind of position. So when asked why were you, you know, in that area, he that said he was going to visit his grandchildren. Go ahead. That was about him dancing with the girl. Yes. So yes. Yeah, so, okay. So take this out of me, Chris, because this is an unpopular opinion. I feel like the Jags are blowing this out of proportion. I swear to God, I've never in my life seen a coach just be chilling, relaxing, living his best life. He was dancing with another female, consensual. So it's not like he was just a creepy old guy who just went up and just grabbed. It was, they was, everyone was having fun. And now they're talking about, yeah, bro, we, we don't know if we want him anymore. I don't think that's why they don't want him. Right. Like, my, this, this is my no, thing. 
That's not why they don't want him. The, the it, reason they don't want him is because – It has to be the success of the team. It's got to be the whole Trevor Lawrence thing. They're 0-4. Yes. Lawrence isn't playing well. The play calling hasn't been good. James, Robinson being, has been, James Robinson's being underutilized. The whole Tim Tebow fiasco. There's more than a few reasons of why they should want to fire Urban Meyer, regardless of who he's dancing with at a club, as creepy or not good as it is. But at the end of the day, though, they have a right to be in some ways not happy about it because – He's the head coach of their football team. He represents that team, and he's a role model to his players. His players are supposed to look at him as a role model and as someone to lead them. And if you got this dude at a club, basically, like you said, close-fucking this chick, like it's not a good representation of the team. The owners aren't going to be happy about it, and the players are going to respect them less. Yeah, before I forget, I, I, I misspoke. It wasn't a club. It was at his family's restaurant. Which That's I don't really know weird. if that makes it even better. Yeah, I don't know. I think that makes it even that makes weirder. It a lot weirder. Right? So, but this is what I think it all comes down to. When Urban Meyer was first hired, he already came on thin ice. Yeah, a lot of the organization liked him. Um, Mr. Khan, who owns the team, kind of was like, I don't know, but... Everyone loves him, so why not? I'll give him a chance. All the players did not like him. This is this is something people don't really kind of they either don't bring up or anything like that. But when the when he came in, a lot of the players were like, We don't know. And then he drafted, obviously, they were gonna get Trevor Lawrence, but I, I never can never say his name right. Et, Etienne. I think I yeah, Etienne, yes. They drafted him. And a lot of people in that locker room was like, I, I said the same thing because I'm like, you have James Robinson, who's a thousand yard rusher. And I understand the connection with him and Trevor Lawrence, but I'm like, bro, you you have a, a, a starting caliber running back. Why, like, I don't understand the, the, the logic behind that. What I think is going on, Urban Meyer has been making a lot of questionable decisions his entire tenure here. Now, has it been long? But the entire tenure, what I think happened is with this whole this whole incident with, uh, you know, whatever they want to label it. This is just an excuse for the players who don't like him already. Now, I'm not saying the whole locker room doesn't like him, but a, a, a good amount of them don't really vibe with him. Whatever the case may be, that's what it this means. is just kind of their excuse to kind of just come out and be like, see, I told you. So now there's kind of dissension. So I think that's why the front office is really tight. Not really because he was just living his best life. I think they're more mad because it's like, bro, you already came in here on thin ice. You know, some players don't really rock with how you're how you were handling things. You're kind of giving them ammo. What are you doing? You know what I mean, Chris? Like, like that. That's just how I'm looking at it. So let me ask you a question. Do you think he makes it through the season? I don't know. I genuinely don't know. And, yes, the only, and the only reason I say I don't know is because so he apologized to the players. This all really comes down as to whether the players aren't going to give up on him. Because if you start seeing these dudes start like like half-assing it in the games and kind of coming out and he's like looking down. If it's to the point where he's like Jason Garrett and he's kind of just like clapping and they're all walking by him, I don't think he'll last. I, I genuinely don't because Jason Garrett lasted how long? What seven years? Well, again, that's 
Jerry Jones had this weird infatuation with Jason Garrett, you know, because he yeah, was there. So, but Shaq, Mr. Khan doesn't have that same infatuation with, with Urban Meyer, which is why I think maybe, again, I don't know. I think it'll all really come down to how the players react. And if the players say, you know what, we don't care, let's just play for each other, then, then I, don't, I don't think he'll, he'll be fired this season. Will he be fired? Like you said, if he doesn't get fired this season, He's already going to be on the hot seat because now they're going to look to next season and say, okay, look, this season was, was a horribly disaster. It was a disaster. Mm-hmm. Worse than what we thought it would be. There's certain things you can do. For instance, the play calling. We're going to have to switch that up. We're going to have to get James Robinson to Baltimore. We're going to have to start doing these things where if we're not winning, fine. But we need to see some type of step in the right direction. Yeah. And if they don't see it, they're gonna get rid of him, and like they gonna have to find a head coach quick because, look, if if the organization doesn't get it together, why why are the players gonna get it together? You know what I mean? Like especially a young guy, he's gonna be like, bro, if y'all ain't got if if young guys ain't gonna figure it out to figure it out, I'll go somewhere else where they do gotta figure it out, whether y'all like it or not. You know what I mean, Chris? Yeah. No, I know what you mean, and the the biggest thing for me is with Urban Meyer. Or really with the whole situation is if I'm the if I'm the Jags owner, if I'm the Jags GM, I'm thinking to myself, we brought this guy in to le- start a culture here in Jacksonville, a culture yep. that hadn't been here for a while, maybe even ever. Mm-hmm. And I think like the best culture they probably had was was, um, was 20, in 20, 2017. Yeah, which and even then that really wasn't culture. Even that was more like that's we have just, a great defense. And, that's just well, having one of the best defenses of the decade. Right. And mm-hmm. that that was just – like that wasn't a culture. That was just them having fun and winning and whatnot. Because after the, after that year, they started losing. Jalen Ramsey was there. He didn't look happy. And you can kind of no. see him kind of be a little – It all fell apart. It all fell apart. Yep. With, if I'm the Jags GM or if I'm the Jags owner, I'm thinking to myself, we brought this coach in to start a foundational culture. And if he's not doing it, and if he's in fact taking away from it, that's a huge issue. And although I do not think they will fire him after this season or during the season, they very well could fire him after this season or sometime during next season or the following off season. And when you have a guy like Trevor Lawrence there and they have some foundational young pieces also, them trading C.J. Henderson was absolutely stupid. I thought that was – I didn't understand that at all. I didn't understand it either because C.J. Henderson, I don't think he's the second-best corner out of that class like where he was drafted. I think my guy A.J. Terrell's better than him. I think um, Trayvon Diggs is better than him. But he's I still think, a very valuable piece that he, but, he's still started caliber corner. I was going to say, but he's still a second-year corner – who mm-hmm. didn't play atrociously last year when corner is one of the hardest positions to come in as a rookie and play well at. Yep. He didn't he did not play bad. And they also need youth on that team. They need they need foundational pieces. But regardless of that, they need someone who's gonna have who's gonna set a foundational culture. And if Urban Meyer isn't gonna do it, there is a head coach out there that would love to do it because the Jags coming into last offseason, they were one of the 
hottest spots to be at if you're a head coach because they had the number one pick knowing you're going to get Trevor Lawrence. They got mm-hmm. some guys, and they got a lot of draft picks to to use. So I don't think Urban Meyer is going to be their long-term head coach. I think someone will be. I just don't know who it is and or when it will be. But I'm guessing it will be within the next one to two years. Yeah, at this point, it just kind of seems like they're just waiting for the head coaching pool to fill up a little bit. So that way they could try to make a play for somebody. And at this point, it just seems like Urban Meyer is just like a bridge. And it's crazy because, bro, we're not even halfway through the season. And it already feels like this organization is, like, giving up on him. Because, like, again, every time, bro, I, I can coach this team better than him. And it's atrocious because, like, a lot of the stuff he's doing is is questionable at best. So, yeah, bottom line. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. But speaking of interesting, in case you guys can't see this, Let the Boston Red Sox we beat the Yankees six two, baby. I, this is my this is this is our time. Me and Chris, we Red Sox fans. This is our time to get sloppy, to get juicy with it, bro. Because we smacked the butt Jesus out of them, bro. Six two, bro. And by the way, for all you Yankees fans, I just want to. Chris, if you don't indulge me, I just want to get one quick opportunity to, you know, vent out real quick because I've seen a lot of Yankees fans, right, mad, crybabies about it, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, they're the Boston Red Sox. They're, they're, look at the fans. They're crying. Let me, say, let me say this right now, bro. If you're mad we won, you're a dummy, okay, first and foremost, because we're the better team. There's no and ifs or buts about it. We're the better team. That's one. Two, the reason we're so – and I, I don't – I'm going to say it again. We're the better team, period. Number two, the reason we're so excited that we won, first and foremost, it's a playoff game. If you Yankees fans tell me y'all wasn't going to get excited if you guys beat us, you're lying to yourself. So that's number two. Number three, we are division rivals. There is no there's no greater stake at two division rivals, which is the most historic rivalry in all the, in all of baseball. New York Yankees all and, and all the sports, right? Yankees, like, Red Sox, Yankees, biggest rivalry in all sports. Exactly. So the Yankees and Red Sox in the playoffs? Dude, you, you're, you're telling me there's no hype up, there's no emotion? Three, you put your best pitcher out there. Hold on, did I already say three? Let's go four, whatever. We don't know how to count, but it don't matter. As long as I can count to six, my guy. That's what we're here for. Number four, y'all put your best pitcher out there. Bro, he couldn't even make it three innings. We was giving him black atasso, bro. We was, he, bro, he gave up two home runs before he could do anything, bro. Come on. I don't want to hear about anything about that. I am happy. Listen, as a Red Sox fan, I can admit this. We shouldn't be here. No, we should not. And this is something that a lot of people don't understand because we we are rebuilding. There were people who said at best we were going to be fourth in the division. They had us under they had us under under Toronto, under Tampa, and under the, the Yankees. We were we supposed to be first. We were no, we were worse than that. We were expected to be fourth in the division, and we were expected to get maybe 70 wins. Exactly. Like we, we were supposed to be an under 500 team. We were not, we were we are not supposed to be here. That's why when you said we are the better team than the Yankees, I kind of was taken back a little bit because the Yankees have a better bullpen, they got a better starting staff, and I don't know, I don't know if their lineup is as good as ours, but they got better names in it. 100 and look, I'm, got, I'm a, the name is here. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Chris. We've got a so, we've got a very solid lineup. 
the only reason I say our lineup is better is because we have more guys that get on base consistently, which I think the Yankees right now, in my eyes, they're almost a dumpster fire. They're going downhill quick because Gary Sanchez didn't work out. Stanton finally got hot, but at a time where they needed them to get hot two years ago when they actually had a chance of going to the World Series. Yep. Aaron Judge is going to be looking for an extension very soon. Wait, no. Did he already get his extension? I want to say I want to say yes. He might have gotten his extension, but regardless, Aaron Judge came up into the league when he was 24, 25. At this point, he's 28. He's going to be getting close to the end of his prime within the next four or five years. DJ LeMahieu isn't as playing as good as he did last year. Glaber Torres had a huge down year. Garrett Cole's only getting older. And mm -hmm. Brian Cashman, who I think is a good GM, has been making some very questionable moves. I mean, keeping Clint Frazier to not even really play is very stupid. Because when you look back at it, Clint Frazier was a very highly regarded prospect that they got in the Andrew Miller trade. And when they got him, he was, he was looked at to be a 300 hitter hitting in their three hole for the next decade. And then he comes up into the system. Granted, he did he's not quite as good as everyone thought he would be, but they could have traded him and gotten more assets. I mean, and when you get to the deadline and you got guys that are around like Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, I mean, the Javi Baez, the list goes on. Guys mm -hmm. that can for average and for power. You go out and get Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo, guys who hit a rounder under 250 and strike out a lot. Granted, Rizzo doesn't strike out a whole lot. That's not a terrible move. But you already have Luke Voigt. Well, at the time, I, I, this at is where time, I justify it. He was, at the time, he was hurt. But at the end of the day, he wasn't hurt for that much longer. This he is this for another. He was hurt for another maybe two, maybe three weeks. And yeah. then he came back, and then they didn't even know what to do with him. Joey Gallo has hit – I think he hit oh, under two – he hit under 200 in his time with the Yankees for this season. Which you, blew my mind. And this, the thing, the problem with the Yankees lineup is they have so many power hitters that already strike out a, on a consistent basis. Yep. Guys who don't get on base as much as you want them to. You need to balance out that lineup with guys that can get on base. And I just don't know if they'll be able to do it. And let's not even get started about how terrible of a manager Aaron Boone is. He's atrocious. Hundred percent, he is. And look, look, I don't. I'm not a fan of the Yankees at all, right? But this is the question I've been asking them because I think this is a question we need to ask. Because every time you ask a Yankees fan, you know what's going on, they 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 tell you some stuff that's going on, and then they always go back to that 27. I believe it was the 2017. Yeah, I think it was like 2017, maybe the 2018 season, where they went on the on the on the amazing ride and. They lost to, to Houston, and they were like, oh, if Houston wasn't cheating, we would have been fine. Here's the question I've been asking, and no one answers this question. Is it possible that that year was the anomaly and that the, the Yankees that we see is who they really are? Is it possible that maybe they, that, like, they went, that was their one year, and now you see a team that, granted, isn't, isn't, isn't dog, this team is not dog shit, right? Like, they're nice. a solid playoff team. Is it possible that this is their like this is their, their 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 true glass ceiling and that that year that they went on that wild Cinderella race isn't it possible that was the anomaly, Chris? No, I, I don't think it's possible. I mean, 
I guess I'd be naive to say it's not possible at all, but I don't think that's the case because at the end of the day, they do still have talent. It's just moving forward, I don't know if they can be a legit World Series contender unless they go into classic Yankee fashion and break the bank on every free agent, top free agent they can get. But looking back to the last four or even five years, let's say four, the Yankees have had some good teams and they've had the pieces to be able to make that those teams even better. They have been a scary team for a while now. No one really wants to, no one's excited to play the Yankees, not even the Red Sox, not even, even in 2018 when the Red Sox were the best team by far in the MLB and we won the world series. Shout out to Mookie. Yes, sir. Nathan Avaldi. But even in that time, I did not want to face the New York Yankees. And because they have pieces, they're a scary team to face. And when they're hot, they are hot. I just think Brian Cashman has messed up in, first off, getting rid of Joe Girardi to get Aaron Boone. That was a terrible move. And then also, too, surrounding this lineup with even more power hitters who can't get on base not investing in starters earlier. And also, Garrett Cole, there's no question about it. He's a bona fide ace. I know we shelled him last night, and he didn't play well, and he doesn't play well. He, he doesn't play that well when he's in Fenway. Not saying he torches the Red Sox every time we play him because he's pitched well against us before. But in Fenway, he does struggle. But giving him a nine-year contract that's going to be paying him north of $40 million when he's 39 years old or 38 years old, that's not that's not what you do. The that's only not. thing I can think of is that they did that because they want to keep him. And when he no longer has the stamina to be a starting caliber pitcher, they're going to put him coming out the bullpen. Because there's no way that, that has to be because there's no way you're going to give this guy nine years and expect him to be a starting pitcher all nine years. There's, there's no, no way. No, there's well. I'll one up you. There's no way you pay a guy forty million a year to eventually go into your bullpen. Name me one. Name me one player. Name me Wayne, one closer, one reliever that gets paid starter money. I, but what choice? But the thing is, is like they've always been closers. You see what I'm saying? This dude. I mean, with, with I mean, why else would you give him nine years when? Logically thinking, this dude is not going to be there all nine years unless you're trying to outbid everybody else. I mean, he could be. I mean, he could be. But at the end of the day, my point is, is he's not going to be the same Garrett Cole we're looking at today at the end of that contract. And that's going to affect them dramatically when they're trying to get better. Yeah, you know I mean, a- it's going to be hard to get better when you got 40 million tied up in a guy who's 39. Who yeah, I'm starting to get gray hair. Yeah, this 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 is probably like a take that nobody really here really is going to agree with me. It's going to be my own hot take. Uh, Garrett Cole is nothing more than a glorified number two. I've been consistent with saying this. You're bugging. This no, thing, no, no, hold no. on. Just, just no, no, take no. this walk with me. Take this walk with me. Take this I'll walk. Take with me. walk with you, but I might run in the other direction now. And, 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 and that's fine. You can. I'm saying this right now. I have seen enough in Pittsburgh. To, he was not that guy. He goes to Houston. He, he, again, I'm not saying that he was a number four guy. No. But this ace that everyone thought he was, he wasn't like that in Pittsburgh. He was a solid rotational guy. He was. 
But he, nobody called him an ace until he got to Houston. Ironically, when he got to Houston, who did he meet? He met that dude from the Angels who was giving him the sticky stuff. All I'm saying is that ironic, he got that sticky stuff, and all of a sudden was considered to be a, um, a, a phenomenal pitcher, right? He goes to New York, then they crack down on it, and all of a sudden the guy does not look like how he looked like in Houston. And it's only been, what, two years, two, three years? Let me tell you this. You're wrong in that Garrett Cole wasn't looked at as an ace when he was in Pittsburgh. And not a single soul said he was an ace of Pittsburgh. And I, I will, I will, I will die, I will die on my sword in that. And no. not a single soul said he was an ace of Pittsburgh. He, you could have said he was a number two at best. He no. was like a two, three no. guy. There was, there was two years, because you got to think he got. Oh, by the way, before I forget, before I forget, um, Aaron Judge, he won't be a free agent until 2023. He's got one more year of uh, arbitration. Um, arbitration, which to me is. The dumbest thing. Yeah, I never understood that because you got to be help these players out more. But yeah, they they, yeah they do because you got to be with the same team for six years. Like I I never before you can oh seven yeah like you got to be with them. It's 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 weird, but yeah, terrible for the players because you got some of these guys get brought up when they're 24, 25. Those seven years they get to be 30, 31, sometimes even 32. And at the end of the day, when they're when you're that old, how many teams are going to want to give those guys? Sometimes their best years are earlier in their careers when they first get brought up. And there's no reason that they shouldn't be able to test free agency after, let's say, three or four years like the NFL or the NBA and actually be able to get a big contract when they're starting their prime. But that's a whole different topic. The topic right now is that. You're wrong. Garrett Cole was considered an ace when he was in Pittsburgh. The reason you think he isn't is because at the end of his tenure in Pittsburgh, he was hurt. And the year he came back and started pitching when he was healthy in his last year in Pittsburgh, he wasn't pitching well because he was getting acclimated. He had been injured on and off injuries for over a year and a half to two years. When he finally got fully healthy was when he went to Houston. And I think part of what helped him was, Let's say you can say sticky stuff, whatever the case may be. He was pitching with an all-time pitcher, a future first ballot Hall of Famer, Justin Verlander, and he was able to learn a lot from that guy. Go back and look at the numbers of Garrett Cole when he was in Pittsburgh. There was at least two years when he was an ace caliber player. Him and Sonny Gray were looked at as the two, probably the two best young picture, pitchers and I, in the league. And not a single soul would have taken, would have taken him over Sonny Gray. I, 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 I would yes, die on the at, at the time, at the time, I'm not saying now because now Sonny Gray, I don't know what's going on with him, but he he's but not have, trash, but he's not living up to the expectations no, that he should. Have. But it's the same. They had the same trajectory though, both of which had two very good years when they were looked at as aces in the league and would be aces for years to come. Keep in mind before they turn 25, and then they both get injury. They both have injuries that fuck them up for a year or two, and then they get shipped off. And in both of those trades, the Yankees and the Astros gave up a lot of prospects to get both of them. A team's not going to give up a lot of prospects to get a player if he's not going to be considered an ace. Well, well, hold on, hold on. The Yankees got that. They they went and got that when he was with Houston, which is when he made his name, so to speak. No, I'm saying I'm saying Houston, the Yankees and Houston, like when the Yankees got Sonny Gray, and when Houston got Garrett Cole, 
Both teams getting get, when the Yankees got Sonny Gray, they gave up a lot of prospects, top tier prospects as well. When the Astros went and got some, when the Astros went and got Garrett Cole, they gave up a lot of prospects, solid prospects. You're not doing that unless you're getting a quality starter who can be an ace. All right. And so also he, when, when Garrett Cole goes to um when Garrett Cole goes to Houston, he was no question an ace. No question. No, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't because the last but dude, the, no, 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 no. Because the, the year before he went there, people were saying they were taking a chance because the dude was looking like dog shit before he went. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. In his last year in Pittsburgh, he wasn't looking good. He wasn't dog shit. His ERA. His, was, his last year. His, his last final year. His, his okay. Final okay. I'm gonna read you the stats. Hold on, I'm about to read you the stats of his entire tenure in, in Pittsburgh before okay. he went. So in 2013, uh, he went 10 and 7, 3.22 ERA, which not bad. 117 that's innings pitched. You said what? That's an ace. If you're pitching, but you can't say that if the guys only beat, bro, the, the guy only pitched 117 innings. Part of being an ace, you need to give me, you need to give me outings. That's what that's why listen, as much as I love Nathan Ofaldi. I will never call Nathan Avoldi an ace, ever, and well, that's because he can't. Because Avoldi's never put up numbers like that. But 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 no, but he he has the stuff to put it up. He just he's can't go seven eight innings. But he, which is why I'm not gonna call him an ace. But he's had Tommy John twice. It's it different with doesn't Gary. matter. It, 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 it doesn't matter if you had Tommy John twice. It sucks, and that's a but that's a part of the game. And I'm not gonna say that and give him an excuse and then still in the same breath call him an ace. If you like, you, like, but you gotta admit, going the distance matters to be an ace. It definitely, yo, no, it definitely matters, and that's why Garrett Cole is an ace because since he would injury prone in Pittsburgh, he hasn't been injury prone since. He's had a few here and there injuries, but at the end of the day, he's put together some really complete seasons, and he's been in Cy Young contention for three or four straight years. And you can be in Cy Young contention and not be an ace. Not true. Yes, it is. What are you talking about? There's there's outliers like Rick Parcella winning the Cy Young that one. That's year. what I'm saying. You can you can be in contention or win the or you can be in contention or win it without being an ace because and listen, when Rick Parcella won it, not a single soul was saying that he was he, that he was this phenomenal all world. Like nobody ever said he was an ace, and you know what I mean. Like, but hold on, hold on. But before we finish, no, so his Garrett, year, no, no, let me finish this. But Garrett Cole, okay. Cy Young contention. For three to four, he's in Cy Young contention right now. He might win Cy Young over Robbie Ray, but that doesn't mean you're an ace. Is my it point? Does, it does if you do it on a consistent basis, and he's been consistently been doing it for the past four years. If you're in Cy Young contention, which is being one of the best pitchers in baseball, the best pitcher in your respective league, if you're doing that for four straight years, you are an ace. Bottom line, you cannot name me. Let you can't even name me twenty pitchers that are better than Garrett Cole in the in the MLB right now. You you can't even name me fifteen. I will take um, Max Scherzer, Clay Kershaw, Jacob Degrom, Noah Syndergaard, Lance Lynn. Um, no, 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 no. You cannot do Noah Syndergaard. You cannot do Noah Syndergaard. I just did. No, I just did. So that's five. So already at five. I'll take Shohei Otani. Are you going to tell me I'll take Shohei Otani over him? 
You all right? No, you cannot talk about being injury prone takes away from being an ace when this has been Otani's first year being able to consistently pitch. I didn't. No, 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 no. I didn't say being injury prone will take you out of it. If your injury isn't gonna make you like not be able to do full innings, it's gonna matter. If you're if you're if you're if you're starting pitcher and you're only giving me five innings, I'm not gonna call you an ace. If you you can have you can have Tommy John surgery yeah. fifteen times. Yeah, if you can go out there and give me seven eight innings, I'm not gonna complain. Otani can give me time. that. Garrett Cole does that all the time. You're pissing no, you're pissing me right. off because you're making me defend Garrett Cole right now, and I don't want to be doing that. You, no, 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 no. But you're doing no, it yourself. Doing it. But you're not giving him the man his credit. I'm listen. I'm saying he's a number two. At what point it being number two that bad? You're, you're acting like I'm saying, two. oh, he's at best. A guy who he's like the he's like a Domingo Herman, a guy who can only come in with you. Dis- no, he's a number two. I don't think that's wrong to say because I, especially this year, the guy has gotten lit up a lot. He's gotten lit up a lot. He's a, he has a three-two ERA in the American League, let alone the AL East, which is a great division for hitting. He's got a three-two ERA, a and he ERA went sixteen and eight though. With over 200 strikeouts, your record, your record does not have a whole lot to do with how good of a pitcher you are. It has to do with the so team record doesn't mean nothing. So records don't mean nothing. I'm not saying it doesn't mean anything, but D- Jacob Degrom is going to go down as one of the best pitchers of all time because he has three Cy Youngs, and he hasn't. They pulled the stats for Jacob Degrom. That's different because Jacob Degrom is losing one O's. He's losing when, when the other team scores once. Garrett Cole's getting lit lit up. You're wait, wait, are you telling me last night was the first time he got lit up this season? No, it's not the first time, but it's I'm well, saying that's what I the duty. all I'm saying, all I'm saying, let You're me go back to the it happens. It's like a consistent problem. It, 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 it happens, it happens more than people want to admit, which is why I'm saying he's a number two. Chris Sale at his best would get lit up. Smoking because Chris Hill just came back from Tommy John and he had what like four 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 wins in a row. Did he did he not just get lit up against the Nationals? One time out of four. Against, How many times has this dude gotten lit up against the Nationals? Which which, which okay, I will get you. I will get you. That's a bad one. That's a bad one. That's a bad one. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna disagree with that. And I'm, I'm gonna say that Chris Hill got to wear that one. He's got to wear that one. That's an L for him. He's got to wear it, and he's got to come out and say, "Hey, you, I didn't have, I didn't have my best up." I'm not gonna argue that that matters. All I'm saying, all I'm saying, you're gonna co- let, let, all, look. All I'm saying, you can't sit there and say that, you know. Um, look, Garrett Cole is a glorified two, and I, again, people don't agree with me when I say that. But again, you can't sit there and say that. People don't agree with you when you say that because you're you're dead wrong. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Because again, when when okay, no, because because the stats are a little misleading. Because halfway through the season, when they cracked down, the dude was getting lit up. There was like, I think it was like what, like six, seven games in a row that the dude was getting lit up to the point where they were questioning him, bro. When they when they put the ban on the sticky stuff, he was getting lit up to oblivion. No, not up to oblivion. Yes, he was getting lit up to oblivion. He was getting lit up to an oblivion for the second half of the season. He wouldn't have a 3-2 ERA right now. He wouldn't have over 220 strikeouts. Dude, yes, That's bottom line. That's bottom line. 
Bro, how are you going to say that's bottom line when this is the same dude that comes out and in crucial games gets lit up? And you can't just say, oh, yeah, because of what's it called? Um, you can't just sit there and say, oh, well, no, no. Because remember, the first half of the game, the first half of the season, the guy was on a tear. I'll give him that. They put the ban on the sticky stuff. What happened then? What happened on that second half of the season? I'm saying if he was getting hit up to an oblivion, like you say, for the whole second half of the season, his ERA, he wouldn't be a Cy Young candidate right now. No matter what your ERA is, for if yes, for half of the, if for the second half of the season, Bro, there was like six games up. in a row he was getting destroyed. And it was his like ERA, his ERA is still a three-two. He still has a chance to win the Cy Young. He doesn't have a chance at all to win the Cy Young. The only people say he has a chance to to win the Cy Young are, are Yankees fans. That's he's it. the number. He's the number two candidate right now. I think and, Robbie Ray. I think Robbie Ray is going to run away with it. But he's the number two candidate right now for Cy Young. Okay, so so in his first eight starts, he was five and one with a one point three seven ERA. Right? We'll agree that's that that's great, right? That's disgusting. Right? Like that's 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 vicious stuff, right? Oh, dear. The next six games, he went three and three with a 4.47 ERA. That's not great. Tell me he wasn't getting lit up to an oblivion. Now tell me he wasn't getting lit up to oblivion. How many games? You said that's four. the next four games, right? The next six. That was the next six games. He went three and three. What happened after those six games? After those six games, he looked – I'm not – Average would be mean. He looked. He looked. He looked solid. He he looked above average. No, he give me numbers. I'm not taking your word for it. You're not taking my word for it. No, so absolutely not. Because you think this guy? Because I, I can't take your word for it. Because at the end of the day, you're saying this dude is a solidified number two. You're saying he's an above average number two pitcher. Which is I, I, not, I, yes. That's not. That's not giving him enough justice. I know that's not saying he's trash. I know you're not saying this dude is dog shit. Which. I wouldn't be on this podcast if you were saying that he was garbage because I would know you don't know what you're talking about. No, I'm not saying he's garbage. I'm I know. I know. He's, I know. Getting over, he's getting overhyped. That's all I'm saying. I do think Garrett Cole can get overhyped sometimes. And, but that, and that's where I'm at with him. He's, like, still, I, he's still a top 10 pitcher in the league. Easy. If you're basing it, the reason I say he's a top 10 pitcher is because he's still – in my eyes, the number two candidate for the Cy Young this year, and he's been in Cy Young contention for four straight years. Consistency matters. You cannot put a guy like Noah Syndergaard ahead of Garrett Cole when Noah Syndergaard hasn't pitched a complete season since 2016 or 2017. Bro, I, was, I, I, okay, I get that he hasn't has pitched a complete season. You cannot say Shohei Otani is a better pitcher than Garrett Cole when this is the first year that he's been able to comp- pitch a complete season and he still wasn't able to pitch over 150 innings. The only, people, the only people you can say are better than Garrett Cole are guys like Max Scherzer, are guys like Walker Bueller, are guys like – you can't even say Robbie Ray. I'll take Robbie Ray. Oh, coming off of this year, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Here's the question: because it seems like consistency matters. No, 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 no. I gotta stop you there. I gotta stop you there. We're talking about right now. 
I know, but you're if you're making a ranking of pitchers, what I'm saying is, all right, anyone can have a breakout year. Anyone can have a breakout year. Brandon Jennings looked like he was going to be one of the best players in the NBA after his rookie year, and look what happened to him. Okay. There's guys that come out in in, in all sports that come out and have that anomaly season. Okay. Eric has no anomalies. He's been consistently yes, he doing. He's got anomalies, though. No, he doesn't because longevity backs it up. You can't bro, say. You can't bro, say. His, his, I, hold on, hold on, hold on. His, his final year in Pittsburgh, he went. He went uh, twelve and twelve with a four point two six ERA. Coming and here before the, that, he went seven and ten with a three point eight ERA. But those okay, so those would be anomalies then, because if you look no, at no, it, no, 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 and yes, anomaly happens it. once. An anomaly happens once. Okay, all right. So, but if you look at the majority of his career, he's been a well above average pitcher. He's been well. There's two years in 2014. He went 11 and five style with a 3.65 ERA. Above. So now that's those are three seasons. Three seasons. A 3.65 ERA is not bad, especially for a young guy. You it's not ace. It's not ace material. Yeah, but not everyone's an ace when they're 24. Whoa, 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 whoa. You told me in Pittsburgh he was an ace before he went to uh, Houston. He was. So and that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to that's what I'm trying to tell you. His first his rookie year, 10 and 7, 3.22 ERA. His second year, 11 and 5, 3.65 ERA. Then 2015, which was his best year, he went 19 and 8 with a 2.6 ERA. I'm After sure. that, 7 and 10, 3.88. Then his final year, 12 and 12, 4.26. If first anything. Time. His ace year is the anomaly. Then he goes to Houston. He met up with that dude from L.A. Oh, okay, wait. So you're just forgetting in 2015 in Pittsburgh when he had a 2.6 ERA. I, no, 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 no. I said that. I said that. No, I said that. Pitched 208 innings and had over 200 strikeouts. I said that. No, I'm not forgetting that. that. I said that. You, and I he said did that, that and, but, and he did that when he's 24. You're forgetting that. No, 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 Just wait. And You're forgetting that. that in two and in 2013, when he got brought up during the season in his rookie year, he had a 3-2-2 ERA with 117 stuff. innings pitched with 100 strikeouts. I said that. I yeah. literally just went through all his career stuff. I you said a three. Uh, um, I said uh, the the ten uh, ten and seven three point two two. I said he only pitched about like 117 innings. So you can't call that an ace because of longevity. That was okay. That was number one. Then number two, the three point six five. His second year in the um second year with the with Pittsburgh, he went eleven five with a three point six five. That's not ace numbers. It's solid numbers though. That was year two. Then year Four. three, he went nineteen and eight with two point with a two point six ERA, which that's an ace year. I will give him that. Then I asked of of all those years, call him an ace. That one year was the only year you can legitimately call him an ace. In Pittsburgh? Maybe. And I'm talking about in his Pittsburgh and his Pittsburgh outing. Because then he went to Houston. And I believe he spent two years in Houston. Let me double check that. Yeah, he went two years in Houston. And he was he looked he looked phenomenal in Houston. He looked phenomenal. And he's also looked phenomenal in New York since he's been there. He, he, he his first year he looked phenomenal. And, it, and there's certain stretches of time where he gets blown up. That happens to some of the best pitchers in baseball. Clayton Kershaw, there's no questioning he's a bona fide ace. And there was a three-year stretch where Clayton Kershaw was starting to get shelled. 
There was a stretch where in people the playoffs, and people questioned just, him. Not just in the playoffs, and people and people questioned him when he was hitting, when he was hitting his his spurts in, in the regular season too. People questioned him. But so my question is, why is it all of a sudden that Garrett Cole shouldn't be questioned? He is being questioned right now, and he's also getting questioned all around the world right now. And he and he should, but he should have been questioned like what two years ago? No, because two years ago he was. Going no, two, two years ago when the his allegations last year came in Houston. up. His no, last no, no, no. So hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm about to tell you why they should have questioned him two years ago. Two years ago when the allegations of the sticky stuff came up and his name came up. I'm not denying, like in Houston, those two years, I'm not going to deny those numbers. Those are some phenomenal numbers. You cannot, I'm not blame, denying those numbers. You cannot blame one player for a league-wide issue. Everyone was using sticky stuff. I don't think everyone was using it. I don't a think so. lot of people were using sticky stuff. And, th- and that, that is true. And that is true. Now, this is where I look at it. Now they're putting like, a ban on it. Matt like, Scherzer's still getting turned in LA. That's like just, that's like, and Garrett Cole's still getting turned too. No, he's getting turned on. No. I'm, all right, I'm, I'm going to say it again. This year, five and one, 1.37 ERA. I know, in his third I know the start. numbers. I know the numbers. And after that, he went three and three to four point four seven. He's getting blown up. That's six straight games, and that's a tough stretch. There could have been other factors that are going into that. Could it be the sticky stuff? Yeah, but also too, if you're doing something consistently for a while, that was legal. If you're doing something consistently for a while, and then afterwards it gets taken away from you, your whole routine goes out of whack. And you have to adjust, and it takes time to adjust. He wasn't the only pitcher that was pitching bad up to that during that stretch of time. I mean, Chris, I'm not, last now season ended. I'm not accusing him of that. sticky stuff from him. And hundred percent, and 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 I, in my opinion, I want to see how Tyler Glasnow looks and looks afterwards. Because if I'm not mistaken, he was having a little bit of an iffy stretch, so it could be that. But my thing is, look. Look, I'm saying the guy's a number two. The way, if 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 I if the way you're coming at me is if I'm saying the dude the dude at best is a five on his best day. No, I'm the reason I'm coming at you like this is because there's no way that that can be true. But it is though. It's not. But it is though. It's not. Look at the. If you look at the last four years. Yes. There's one year he wasn't a Cy Young candidate, and it's because he got hurt. You said the last four years? During the last four years, this year, last year, the year before that, and the year before that, there was only one year he wasn't a Cy Young candidate, and it's because he got hurt. Which which year was that? His first year in New York. He wasn't hurt. Yes, he was. He was? I could have sworn the only reason that his numbers were down. I don't, I don't count that year, by the way, because everyone – it, it, it's it's hard to look at the numbers. Oh, might be, no, no, no. I think you're right. short, short in season. Yeah, yeah. That, that season was like stupid short because the whole COVID thing. So it, it's kind of okay. Then I'm gonna give him that. I'm gonna give him that one. Last, then for the last four years, he has been a top three Cy Young candidate in all four years. But we, you and I, both understood. We already came to that. Just because you're a Cy Young contention doesn't mean you're an ace. It does if you do it for four straight years. I don't know. I don't know. All, there's, all no you, there's no way you can dispute that. The The argument with Rick Parcello is he only did it for one year. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that he had 20 wins. 
And he, he wouldn't have had 20 wins if he was on a team that wasn't the Boston Red Sox. A lot yeah. of it was luck because we turned up when we played for him. All you I know. And, and, and I'm, I'm admitting and it. Also too, that that is true. Won. That's the only reason. If he doesn't have those 20 wins, we're not having this conversation. And I'll and admit that. That is true. He probably shouldn't have won anyway. Justin Verlander had a better season. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm with you there. I, if it was up to me, I would have voted Verlander because I, I thought Verlander did better. I think the only thing statistically that Porcello had over Verlander was the 20 wins. But, but other than that, Justin Verlander, I'll rank them. All I'm saying, look, all I'm saying is magically this band comes on. Max Scherzer has no issues with it. Walker Bueller had no issues. Lance Lynn had no issues. Shane Bieber had no issues. It's weird. All these top pitchers had no issues except for Garrett Cole. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. And you can't dispute that. We'll have to see. We'll have to see next season when we get a full season. But here's what we'll do. Here's what we'll do. Next season, because I I was was misinformed. I I just want to apologize. I thought this was a two Boston Red Sox guys getting together and celebrating. I was, I was. Do you see this? I didn't. Do you see? I didn't get the. I'm sorry. I didn't get the text message that you're a Yankees fan. Are you? I didn't get that text message. So next time, next year, after that finishes, we're gonna have the conversation. We're gonna see how Gary Cole pitches, and we go from there. I just did not realize saying he was a number two is like the same as spitting on the guy. Like, no. I'm not, I'm not, don't, don't do me like that. Don't do me like that. Don't <laughs> You're making it like seem that. like I'm calling him Rick Porcello or something. I'm a Boston Red Sox fan, but I'm an unbiased Red Sox fan. Me too, to an extent. Look, maybe, look, I just believe I'm admitting to an extent. I'm admitting that to an extent. Yeah. I just don't like all this hype about Garrett Cole. I genuinely believe he's a number two. That's just me. Again, agree to disagree. Because at the end of the day, I don't, I don't think being a number one or number two is too far off. I don't think it, I don't think they're that far off. But now it seems like I'm just walking back on it. Before I let you go, quick million dollar question: Do you think we realistically can win the World Series? Notice the word realistically. I'm gonna say we do have a chance. But a lot of things have to go right. Mm. I will say I I think we will beat the Rays in five games. Ooh. I think we will beat the Rays in five games. Okay. I think they have they have young arms. Their lineup isn't as good as ours in my eyes. The only thing they have better than us is a bullpen. But if our bats stay as hot as they have been, I think we'll be all right. I think we're going to be all right because we're going to get into that bullpen early on in the series and we're going to tire them out. And getting this amount of momentum from a rivalry game in a wild card, that momentum, I would have rather been in the wild card and win that game than get the rest and play to like get some rest and play two days later home. I'd rather be able to have the chance to get this momentum. Do I think, I think the Rays are going to be our toughest challenge. So I think we have a very realistic chance of getting to the world series, but I will say if we have to go up against the Dodgers, I think it's clipped. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm. I, I. I genuinely agree. I feel like if we can get through the Rays, I genuinely believe we'll be fine. And I'll dare I say, 
I think we can hold our own against the Dodgers because of our offense and our lineup. I do think with because we got some potent bats top to bottom. We just, you know? we just don't have the pitching. Our bullpen. That's that's what I think. Is weak. Our bullpen is weak, and yep. I love that Nathan Navaldi comes up in the clutch in the playoffs. He's proven that he can do it on a consistent basis. Yep. But we don't know what we're gonna get with Chris Sale, although he has looked good. He he injury, has. You don't know. You don't know. He's gotten hit around, I think, at least twice since he's been back, which is okay. It happens. Even yeah. aces do that. <laughs> but he's gotten he's gotten hit around a little bit. He's still trying to get comfortable. I think he's more comfortable than he's been. But at the end of the day, he hasn't had to go up against the Dodgers. Yeah, which I think that's what it's all really going to come down to. Like I said, I think we have a solid chance if and we I, can get through Tampa. And I do not trust Erod. I, I don't at all. I know he's getting the nod game one, and I'm I'm nervous. I genuinely am. I I just don't. I don't. I don't. I don't want to say I don't trust him. The way he's been pitching right now, he should not be starting. He should be coming out the bullpen. Like he should not be giving the ball to just to start because I just I don't like it. But the problem with the Red Sox right now is. Again, we weren't supposed to be here, so I cannot be mad at this. 100%. But we just don't have anyone else. We don't have That's anyone true. else that can fill that role. The Our only team. thing I could think of is pitch by committee on the day's E-Rod pitches. So you have a couple guys come out pitch. But That's the only thing. That's if we replace that, if we don't let E-Rod do that. It's hard to do that in the playoffs, though, because it, in the playoffs, your, arm, your arms get tired quick. It's a three-man rotation. Let's yep. say one of your guys gets blown up. You're going to have to have – if you're having long long relievers pitch two, three innings in a game that's being pitched by committee and then turn around and have to pitch two or three more the next day, they're probably going to get hurt or they're going to get shelled. Yeah. So, But, yeah, I, I think we'll be okay. You know, I share your sentiment with us beating Tampa Bay. I think that's just me being a fan. Because, you know, our lineup is better in terms of offense, but defensively, their pitching is nice. It's, it's come to life, so I, I can't. Nice, but the reason that I say we take it is because their pitching's young, and we have – our pitchers have experience pitching in the postseason. That is true. Our, so, most import, our most important pitchers, with the exception of maybe Garrett Whitlock, have experience – we're on that World Series team. Evaldi, yeah. Erod, Chris Sale, Matt Barnes. Those yeah, four so. guys were pitching for us in the World Series and in that whole run, and they've all proved that they can pitch well in the postseason. Yeah, so it's it's, it's going to be interesting. Like I said, look, I I genuinely believe to get there if we beat if we beat the the Rays, I think we have a legitimate chance. I do too. And when I say legitimate chance, I genuinely mean it. Now, granted. To get through them, do I think we'll win it? No. Like you said, a lot is going to have to fall in place because the Dodgers, and even if we don't see the Dodgers, the Giants, they scare me. Uh, you know what I mean? Like they, I'm way they more scared, scared of the Dodgers than I am of the Giants. Oh, no, don't get it twisted. Oh, no, 100%. I'm, over. I'm way more fearful of the Dodgers. Yeah. But if the Dodgers somehow get bounced, I still don't think it's an easy, it's an easy gate to the World Series because if they get bounced, more than likely we got to see the Giants. And I don't know how that'll work, but look, like you said, we shouldn't be here. 
So I'm just glad we're here. I'm I'm glad we're here. I'm taking it all in. I'm just mm-hmm. excited that we're here. I'm looking forward to the next four years. I'm very happy with how our GM has built this team. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm just excited to see what we have in the future, and I'm excited to see money come off the books that has been straining us for a while. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, because I, I think at one point we were still playing, uh, paying Manny uh, Ramirez for like a long Family. time. And it's like, it's like what the fuck? I think – I think we might still be paying Pablo and Hanley for maybe one more year. I don't know, because that that gets deferred for a lot of years when you release a guy. Yeah. But, well, and then also, too, we're still um, – I remember we were still paying Alan Craig. I don't know if you remember him. We're still we were still paying Alan Craig. We're 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 still we're still on the books for a few guys and the David Price trade. Yeah, so I was about to say that David Price trade still over. got us. We had to take over half of the money from that deal, which I wasn't the biggest fan of that trade. But I do love Verdugo. I'm excited for what Jeter Downs can do. Basically, yep. I, I like where our farm system's at. Mm-hmm. I think we've been drafting well. I think we had a really good draft for this MLB draft. And I'm excited for free agency to see what we do because we're not – I like not being in full win-now mode while still getting better. Yeah, hundred percent. Because you know what I mean. Because then eventually, when we do turn into that win now mode, we only need like a piece or two, and by then we'll be able to. You know, we don't gotta beg you or throw you a big contract. We have a decent team where you know we'll we'll be fine. So we'll have the money and we'll have the farm system where if someone's not willing to take a deal, we're gonna have a young guy willing to replace him. Exactly. So, but yo, Chris, this was fun, bro. Appreciate you. It was a great time, man. I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited yeah. to do it again. 100%, bro. Like, always follow us on Twitter at Prideful Takes. I love arguing with people on Twitter, bro. That that honestly is, like, my life Look. calling at this point. It really is, especially when, when you're right and they start stuttering. Yeah. Funniest thing in the world. Catch us on Facebook at Prideful Takes. We put up memes. My my NFL pickums. I, I dropped them. Uh, mine's going to drop tomorrow, tomorrow morning before the Thursday night game. Um, And, you know, all the news, all that good stuff. We're also on YouTube, so if you don't have Facebook, Check us out on YouTube at Prideful Takes. Every episode of the podcast is there. Go to our website, www.pridefultakes.com. Not only is every episode of the podcast there, but we also have original articles. And I know my face is hit, so if you just want to listen to my voice, check us out on Spotify at the Prideful Takes podcast. Chris, brother, it's been an honor. It was fun, bro. It was. I had a great time, and I really appreciate you having me on. And like I said, I'm excited to do it again. 100%, bro. So, for uh, Chris, it's your boy Pryor. We'll see you guys on the next one. Knew where that was going. That was a great read. Ooh, Lillard from the logo. That'll quiet the two on the season. Second and one for the Bills. They handle the rush. Allen looking. It's down. Two to Shohei Otani. Center field. Let's watch it go. Did several of those inside low kicks. Oh.